to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect, how obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy. Today we have another special guest, Khadijah Diggs. Khadijah is a mother, project manager, and a Team USA and Silver Ironman All-World Triathlete. Her mission is to promote a positive image of Muslim women and Islam in general through sports. Training and racing started off as her therapy to recover from a failing marriage and the loss of loved ones to cancer. It has remained and has also become how she expresses herself and shares who she is as a Muslim, a mother, and a woman. Her goal is to open dialogue and connect women of all backgrounds on a personal level by sharing common experiences, joys, and struggles through virtual get-togethers, healthy living, group training, and healthy competition. She has learned traveling all over the world to race that at the core, we are more the same than different. The struggles of motherhood and just being female are universal and it binds us all as women. Some of her accolades, she is the current member of the U.S. Long Course Triathlon and Aquathon team that is scheduled to compete in the Netherlands in 2021. She earned a personal best of 5 hours, 7 minutes, and 42 seconds at Havana Triathlon 70.3 70.3 in 2020. She earned spots and has competed in ITU World Championships in 2019, 2018, 2017 as a member of the U.S. Long Course Team. In 2016, she became the first African American woman to become a member of Team USA in Long Course Triathlon and the first Muslim to represent Team USA in any multi-sport event. She competed at Ironman 70.3 World Championship in South Africa in 2018. She earned a personal best of 12 hours, 57 minutes, and 34 seconds at Ironman Florida in 2017. She earned second in her first international race in Cuba in 2017 and she returned to win her division in 2018, 19, and 2020. She earned an invitation to the Olympic Distance Nationals in 2015, 2017, 2018, and 2019. In 2018 and 19, she was selected as a USA Triathlon Ambassador. This is an honor bestowed only upon a few individuals across the United States. I met Khadijah virtually via the Black Triathlon Association page 
She has given me so much advice in my journey, from just answering questions on the page to her free web get-togethers that she presents and organizes. I officially met her when I competed in Ohio 70.3 triathlon. We swam, we rode the bike course, and we also rode the running course. She gave me many pearls of wisdom that day. I learned how meticulously she prepares for races. While that race did not end up well for me, I ended up with a DNF, which is did not finish, and I ended up in the medical tent. That weekend was a great learning experience. Please welcome triathlete Khadija Diggs to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Part of my objective in starting this podcast was to interview guests who had overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. And with this podcast is an actual finish line because we're talking about triathlons today. One of my loves, one of my hobbies, and I have Khadija Diggs. She is an ultimate triathlete. I've admired her for years virtually and actually got to meet her when I competed in Ohio 70.3. Welcome. Thank you for having me. What started you competing in triathlons? So my first triathlon was an initiative for my sorority, Gamma Gamma Chi Sorority Incorporated. We had a health initiative that year. And instead of doing a 5K road race or something like that, I thought a triathlon would be really cool. It was in Lake Lanier, Georgia in May 2012. And I came in third to last. (laughs) Did you have any fears, any apprehension? Regarding your first race, my first race, I almost cried because it was too hot to be wetsuit legal. And I freaked out and I was the very last person (laughs) out of the water, the very last person out of the water. But I finished. But that was my greatest fear. Yeah, I didn't have any fears with swimming because I've always been an open water swimmer. I learned how to swim in the open water, even though I never swam competitively. My biggest concern was the bike. I'm a city kid. I never really owned a bike. I had a big wheel. <laughs> but other than that, I never really had a bike. And I didn't understand all the rules. They were talking about drafting and this, that, and the other. And so I was just like, I'm going to ride my bike. My bike didn't even have gears. And if you've been to Georgia, it's oh, very, yes. hilly. very hilly. I rode it on a fixie. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, actually. <laughs> but you pass people on the bike when you're fixie. That's impressive. (laughs) So what motivates you to compete at the level you compete? Initially, my motivation to train was, like you said, running is cheaper than therapy. I had lost my father-in-law, my niece first, a nine-year-old niece to brain cancer. And then subsequently, very shortly after that, I lost my father-in-law to pancreatic cancer. And the training became literally my form of therapy. It was my out. It was my just way to not think about what was going on, the struggles that my kids were having about losing their grandfather. And that's what it was. It was literally therapy. Then as I began to race more, I noticed that some of the, I don't know how to put it, but people really were either curious or angry. I'm not sure that a Muslim lady was racing 
I remember the first time I ever podiumed at a race, the, uh, one lady said out loud in front of everyone, well, why does she get to cheat? She came in second and I beat her. So she was, I don't know whether she was upset simply because I beat her or that I was Muslim or what the deal was. I really received some pushback from other athletes, from some race directors about the fact that I was racing in hijab. And the funny thing is I didn't even swim in my hijab. I just swim in the swim cap and I put the hijab on after, but I did wear open water swim, fully covered. I would either wear a rash guard swimsuit or running tights and a t-shirt. I definitely wasn't getting any kind of swim advantage in a dry fit shirt. Mm -hmm. So it motivates me to make sure that I always have the best sportsmanship, that I always compete hard, that Mm -hmm. they know that I'm out there to compete, that Muslim women are just like all other women and we're out there to have fun, enjoy the experience and to compete and to win. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what motivates me. Not just the winning, but having the good sportsmanship and showing them that we can. So when you started, did you have mentors that helped you in the process? And when I started, there was a quick run because I didn't know much about the sport. When I was growing up, I didn't even know what triathlons really were. And for my listeners, it is a multi-sport that consists of swimming, biking and running. So I needed a lot of advice from riding my bike to which bike to get to shifting gears and swimming. I I took swimming lessons as a child, but only thing I remember is being thrown in a pool and I made it to the shallow end. But I don't remember any technique. (laughs) And then I took lessons when I lived in Philly, but I couldn't swim unless I was holding on to the rope or the wall, which is not swimming. So I basically had to learn how to swim. And then I have to learn now to calm my fears of drowning and open water and all the people. So all of that causes me apprehension when I race. But did you have anyone to guide you? I guess even though you knew how to swim and you knew how to ride a bike, but it can be very technical, as you know now. And I don't know if you were running before doing triathlons or just you got introduced everything to the sport when you started in 2012? I ran track in college. The longest race, every now and then they throw me in the 1500, but I was primarily an 800 meter runner. And I did the 400 meters. And I guess when they got desperate, they would throw me in the four by one as an alternate. But I was primarily 800 meters was my thing. So I did have to learn pacing and different body position for the running I have three people that were really key and helping me get to where I'm at. One is Coach Alonga Thandaway. He is the founder of the Network of Multisport African-American Athletes here in Atlanta. And I don't know if there's anybody in the tri-community in Atlanta who has not been touched by this man. I actually helped out with his swim clinic that he did. He did a socially distant swim clinic this weekend in honor of the Nagori Marathon race in Senegal. And for those of you who don't know what that race is, it's in honor of the Gori Island was a slave holding island where they would hold slaves until they were going to ship them off to Europe or the United States. And many of the slaves chose to swim just over a mile and a half back to Senegal in shark infested waters versus becoming a slave. So they do a race there where you swim out to the island and back 
in honor of those people who survived the swim and those who didn't. Mm-hmm. So we did that. So I manned the kayak, did a little, little assisting there, and that was great fun. But he's always been there. I even remember when I was training for, this was just last year, before last when I was training for Ironman Florida, everybody had stopped swimming. He took me out to the lake so that I could open water swim. There was no other reason for him to be there other than to support me. He's always, nice yeah, he's always been there at those key times. He was the first one when I said, you know, I think I want to make this UST. And he was the first one to say, well, you know, you can do it. So what's your plan? It was just very matter of fact. And that's how he is. He's very supportive. Then one of my best friends, Eileen Josiah Tanner, she's a professional runner. She ran for the Guyanese uh, track team. She's actually the Guyanese 10K and 5K record holder. She was my run coach for, gosh, up till last year, year before last. It's funny. Everybody's like, well, why don't you and Eileen run together anymore? She invested so much of her time in me. I felt like she wasn't pursuing some of her own dreams and she is now a U.S. citizen. So she's running on the Masters U.S. team. And she actually won a silver medal at World in the half marathon relay. So it wasn't we were breaking our friendship. It was I think it increased our friendship because I felt so much pride in seeing her pursue her goals versus supporting mine so much. And she's an amazing person. She helps so many people. And then my strength coach, Kathy Murray, uh, she rides with the Metro Atlanta Cycling Club along with me. The first time I saw her ride, I turned to one of the guys and said, I want to ride like that. And they all just busted out laughing. Like, you got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ride like her now? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she can give everybody a reference. She climbs like a billy goat, man. She's, yeah. I wish I was in Atlanta because I love, and I come down there for one love. Of course, it yeah. wasn't this year because, but I love cycling with them because all everybody seems so impressive. Just riding with them. Yeah. And they all have their thing. We have some crit riders on the team, a few triathletes. Kathy is just into overall fitness and she likes to do the Xterra. She's done a couple of Xterra triathlons. It's a fun group to ride with. And they don't care, male or female. If you can't hit it, and we have rules about, you know, just rules of the road that everybody has to adhere to. You have to be able to change your tire in under X amount of time. They teach us a cycling history. So it's a good group to belong to. It's impressive. How do you have time to train with your family, your job? Yeah, we talked about this. <laughs> I don't. I train at night. When my younger kids go to bed, I do my main training set. It usually starts about 830 at night. Now that we're in the pandemic, what I do do in lieu of a commute, I do a short run or some speed work, hill work in the morning. That's usually only like 45 minutes, an hour max before I get started. And when I can, if my meetings allow, I'll do a 30 minute swim at lunchtime. But most of my main set of training happens at night when everybody else is resting, watching TV. That's when I train on the weekends. I try to train really early in the morning so I can spend the day with the children. And of course, you know, you have cleaning, cooking, laundry. So I try to do that as early in the morning as I can. So do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fortunately, I'm not one of those people that needs a ton of sleep. But yeah, I tell this to everybody. It's not like I'm a professional. I do this because I love it. And 
I feel like this is my way of giving back the opportunities that racing triathlon affords me. So if I'm tired, I just rest and I reset. It's as simple as that. And if you're exhausted, you're not going to get a good training set in anyway. So you just take the day. Sometimes when I work out late at night, it's like, I guess I can't go to sleep because it's just I have so much energy. Do you ever have that? Or are you just used yeah. to it? <laughs> no. And I guess I'm used to it, too. And sometimes I just make sure, you know, take a hot shower. That kind of takes you down. And I make sure all the lights are off and I'm out. How do you find motivation with the treadmill and the trainer? I know some people like me, I just do better when I'm outside, which is weird because I live in Chicago. So our train, like riding outside is short compared to Georgia. But I ride on the trainer, but it's just not as, I don't get as much out of it as riding outside and running. I love running outside. There's something about it. Just, I run year round. It could be zero degrees and I'm out there with all my gear. So Yeah. I use a kicker. That's one of the things I do suggest that people do is a smart trainer. You're going to get a lot more out of a smart trainer than a regular trainer. I use a program called Perf Pro Studio. So we have thousands of interval sessions that I can draw from. And I also have the ability to pull in actual courses. So the courses that I'm going to be racing for any given year, I pull them in and I train on them. And I'm very focused on the wattage that I'm putting out for each of my training sessions. And it helps me to be able to predict how hard I can push at the various races. So for me, it's like a big experiment. I've done centuries on my kicker. So a lot of times, especially I think for two out of my four Ironmans, I did my century rides on the kicker. I found it to be more controlled and I Mm -hmm. didn't stop. I also had to jump off really quick to run upstairs and go to the restroom. I didn't stop. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I try to do when I'm doing simulations or long breaks. I don't stop just like I'm in a race. So you didn't stop the 100 miles at all, even to go? Yeah, I just run upstairs, go to the restroom, right back downstairs. So you had everything laid out. Everything sat right there. And literally, when I say I jumped off and ran and went to the restroom and came back, that's exactly what I did. Okay. See, sometimes group rides, while they're good, they can take longer because you stop and wait for this person or you stop for a bathroom break, which is supposed to be five minutes and it winds up being 10 minutes. So (laughs) it can make however long, how many hours be like two or three hours more than it would normally be. So you don't have to worry with that. That's one good thing about working out. Yeah. And I just find the control to be like for Arizona, I predicted that I could do the course and I think it was 550 and I think I did a 548. So I knew, I knew how fast I could go. Mm -hmm. I knew what it felt like. So, and I'm one of those kind of people I race by feel. You know, everybody's got all these expensive Garmin watches. The gun goes off because you just gone. I don't even look at that watch. You don't look at the watch? Do you use a power meter? I train with power, but I do not race with power. You race everything by feel. Mm -hmm. Hmm. The only thing I do when I'm racing is I hit that button you know, as I go in and out of transition, but that's it. I guess maybe I could go faster if I was, you know, that scientific about the racing, but I enjoy the experience of racing. I love to race, Um, especially even though the swim is my favorite, my strongest is the bike. And I literally, especially with races where they rack us by age group, 
I'm literally counting bikes and I'm like, how many can I catch? You know, that's just, that's just my thought process, you know? I won't use the bad words. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yo, I'm coming. And I, it's fun. I yeah, I enjoy that. It's like one of uh, my favorite people to race with is Vaughn Spencer. And it's funny because everybody's like, yo, these two were going at each other. But we both find it fun. We swim about the same. She's a super strong runner. I'm a super strong cyclist. And, you know, on the bike, I'm pointing at her. I'm like, yo, can you spot this gap? You know, <laughs> I'm, coming, I'm coming. And it's, a it's great, fun. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that, but it's fun. Well, it's good. I got experience racing with both of you in Ohio. Yeah. She's, but you were way ahead of me. But it was, <laughs> it was still a fun experience, even though that race didn't turn out well for me. But I enjoy racing with you guys. And I am, the good races are what gives you the biggest character. That's true. Yeah. So I did learn a lot. I learned a lot from just riding the course with you, just to see how you prepare for races, because it's very meticulous. I learned a lot that weekend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was fun. We had a good time. What has been the most difficult aspect of this journey and how did you overcome it? Would it be other people or is it some internal obstacle that you had to overcome through? For me, it was the frustration with the gear. I made a goal. It's funny. Initially, in making the goal to make the U.S. team, it was this simple. I saw a young lady with her name on her rear end. I was like, wow, that's really cool. She's got her name on her butt. And I'm thinking, yeah, when you're cycling, you could like pass somebody and they would see who passed them. Mm -hmm. And then we were chit-chatting and the guy's like, oh, yeah, she's on the U.S. team. I was like, oh, wow, you know, how do you do that? So I was like, you know, I'd like to do that. When I found out what the criteria was, I was like, I think I can do that. It's going to take me a while, but I think I can do that. And then I continued to have issues with gear. And then in thinking about it, I was like, you know, if I made this U.S. team, they would have to get me a kit. So in the back of my mind, that was also part of your motivation, a, a driving force. So the main thing was gear awareness, I think, even amongst African-Americans. I don't know, I guess because I'm African-American, I assume that all African-Americans were familiar with Muslims because most of the Muslims in the United States are African-American. But even from other African-Americans, really just bringing awareness about Islam, bringing awareness about, you know, we're more the same than different. Those have been my primary struggles like making people aware that, yeah, I'm here to have fun, but I'm not a visitor. I'm here to race just like you, you know, those are the main things. But the gear was the gear is where I've had the most just conflicts, embarrassments. One of my dear friends, Tom Shear, how we met. And mind you, I didn't even know this man's name. I didn't know, even know he existed. They were going to pull me off the line at Ironman Raleigh and him and another gentleman conveniently got in the way of one of the volunteers and the horn went off and I dove in the water. They were literally going to not let me race. I remember you telling me about that in Ohio. Yeah, it was crazy. And I didn't know his name. I just remembered his face. Some kind of way we people told him who I was. We linked up on Facebook. And the amazing thing was that there's a picture that floats around every now and then of this big guy 
hugging me at the finish line of Ironman Louisville. It's like you could almost barely see me. He's so big mm-hmm. that he volunteered to give out the medals at the end of Ironman Louisville. Mm-hmm. And he was there to greet me. And I saw between the emotion of the race and we talk about struggles and you talked about the struggle that you had at Ohio. My first attempt to make the U.S. team was two weeks before that race. Mm-hmm. To this day, it is the only DNF that I've ever had. I was afraid. I was completely devastated that I hadn't made the team that year. Mm-hmm. And just the emotion of finishing. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's Tom Shearer. <laughs> That's the main struggle. Just awareness and gear. And like you said, time. You get tired. I'm a single mom. And you get tired. I understand. How do you deal, I guess, people who have like issues at races or how do you deal with them without letting them, I guess, hinder or kill your spirit or your love for the sport? I don't know. It's hard. You can't associate the people with the activity itself. And even though I've had, I think, a disproportionately high number of like bad events, overall, people that I have met have been amazing. I wouldn't trade the friendships that I have made for anything in the world. I literally have friends all over the world. My roommate at Worlds every year, a young lady named Kathy Bowman, we met through my first sponsor, Tri-Sports. We are like complete opposites and completely the same. She's the one that made me keep saying we're more the same than different. We both have been single moms. She's a white lady from the Midwest. I'm a city kid from New York. You know, my father's from Cuba. My mother's from North Carolina. But when we room together, she's checking on her kids. You know, she's following up on work. She's resting because, you know, she trains at night or on the weekends. And if you took away our skin, mm-hmm. we were going through the same experience. So I think there's more that binds us and tears us apart. And that's what I've found in the sport. Of course, you have a few knuckleheads that are, you know, but overall, it's been an amazing experience. And I've met people that have uplifted me and inspired me and it's worth it. Tell me about some of the mantras you say when you race or when you train. My favorite one is never give up on yourself. I literally talk to myself when I'm racing, like when I'm going uphill, come on, girl, come on. What you going to do? Go home, tell your kids you quit. I mean, I literally say those kind of things when I'm racing. One much, I have to admit, I stole it. (laughs) I stole it from my ex-significant other, Dream and Grind. I have all these dreams, but if I don't put in the work, you're not going to get it anyway. So that's another one. What about live by love? Yes, live by love. I just... And it goes back to seeing people, seeing the good versus seeing the bad. If you give love, it's going to return to you. So I always try to find the good in everyone. One of the things that Muslims believe that the greatest of God's creation are those who love God's creation. If you want to love God, if you want to be best in God's eyes, love his creation. So I try to just put out as much love to other people as I possibly can. So... That's all you can do. That's true. You're a very accomplished triathlete, but you are one of the most humble persons I have ever met. And I know your willingness to help others through your web get togethers and your mentorship. Tell me about how you started 
your web get togethers and mentoring triathletes? Oh, the web get togethers is easy. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I'm not going to say I'm shy, but I'm definitely an introvert. I'm comfortable in my own skin, over comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Even before the pandemic, I was like, you know, I'd like to have people together to talk about this, that, and the other. Then I thought about logistics and then I thought about hand sanitizer. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, and I was like, you know, we could just do a Zoom call. And a lot of people were like, a Zoom call, what's that? I find them to be great. And the thing is, you know, if people can't make them, then I push them out to a podcast and I put them on YouTube. They're not very polished or anything like that. It's literally just, I'm having people over. This is this conversation. Is yeah. And they're literally sitting in what is my family room. My pain cave is over here and my office is the breaking point. And then, you know, where the kids hang out, the family room area is over here. So I'm literally having people over. And the response has been amazing. The last one, 96 people came. I was concerned I wasn't going to have enough bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was nice. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing another one about nutrition coming up. I'm reaching out to a couple of athletes in the next couple of weeks. I want to do one. I'm an older athlete. I'm not shy about saying I'm an older athlete. I want to do a get together about transitioning from racing in your 20s and your 30s to racing in your late 40s and 50s, the things that you need to do to all of my personal bests were in the last year. Okay. So I'm getting faster than when I was younger. Not that I think I'm going to get faster till I'm, you know, 70, but how do I at least maintain and be able to feel like I'm racing and not just finishing? So I want to talk about that. One thing I'd like to do is I always find it interesting because I'm single. I was in a relationship for a while. How did the tri-couples do? If she races and he doesn't, or he races and she doesn't, or if they both race, how do they... How, how do they manage they the training and how do they... Yeah. Like if they have kids and how, just everything. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I always find that interesting because I watch some of these couples and I'm like, ooh, that's going to be a fight. You know <laughs> I don't want to do they train together because it's funny. I ski and it's funny. A lot of couples ski and they're on different levels. Like some might be black artists, which is expert level. And some Uh might be like learning to ski. And you can see them on the lift arguing. They'll be on a black slope and an advanced slope. And you can tell the person doesn't know how to ski at all. And they're fussing at each other. and like, they don't need to ski. (laughs) And I wonder, is it sometimes like that? Like, you're a beginner and you're an expert and you're trying to explain and it's just not going well, or it's like you just need to separate and do your own thing or are you train together? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it will take a very special person to deal with race season, Khadijah. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you're on another, especially around the race. I have a friend. She basically kicks her husband out of the room for the week. She's like, I need to sleep. <laughs> I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> When she rents, she rents like a two sweep so he can have his own little space well, um, <laughs> before the race. I think my thing is organization. I literally sit everything out for the three days leading up to the race. So I try to arrive two or three days in advance if I can. I map everything out. I have, you know, when I'm going to train, when I'm going to do everything mapped out. I have a checklist. And following that is... um for me, because my daily life is so busy, 
following that progression to just, ah, you know, is Mm -hmm. important for me. Like I said, I love to race. My favorite time to race is when I'm prepared and ready and everybody around me is prepared and ready. You know, I don't want to win an easy race. I want everybody to be on their A game and we battle and talk trash and have fun. That's my idea of a great race. I know in the past you've dedicated races or even a year to people battling cancer or who have battled cancer. Did you start off? I know you. that's what started you mm-hmm. into triathlon, I guess, is therapy related to your family members. Did you start off each year, Daddy, or is that something that came along later? The first year I didn't, but then I started dedicating races. I think my second year, each race was dedicated to someone. When I could, I would try to raise money for the American Cancer Society. There's a race here in Georgia that I try to do every year. I've only missed it one year, and that was because I was in South Africa. The Try to Beat Cancer, I do that every year. And ironically, the first race I ever won was the Try to Beat Cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was in honor of my father-in-law. So it was funny when I went to the results. I thought they had made a mistake. And I went back and I looked at it again and my soror was there. She's like, you won this race in honor of your father-in-law. And I literally broke down and cried. Hmm. Yeah. But I've always done that. This year was supposed to be dedicated to Dawn Davis Calhoun. And, and I believe she's your soror. Yes. Yeah. I met her in 2017. This is before I even started competing. I volunteered and I didn't know about her battle with cancer at the time, but we became friends and mainly virtual. But yeah, it was a great loss when she passed away at the beginning of this year. Yeah, I had dedicated races to her in the past. She just, I don't know, something about her. It wasn't like we were really close friends, but there was something about her when I was around her. There was just this positive energy. And my daughter, um, a year and a half ago, she had a huge mole on the back of her head. She was born with it, um, mm-hmm. changed color, changed shape, took her to the doctor, found out it was cancerous. Mm-hmm. And she had to have uh, surgery and radiation treatment. And, you know, Dawn very calmly, it wasn't a long conversation, just reached out and, you know, it's how she doing? It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And she was in literally in the throes of her own battle. I remember... I don't know if you saw this video, but they call it the infamous finishers video. I crossed the line with this guy and we were holding hands and mm-hmm. we raised hands. And as we crossed the finish line and Dawn, she used to like narrate all like a bunch of my finishes. And she's like, Whoa, she was telling everybody in the background, be quiet, be quiet. Here she comes. Here she comes. And I grabbed the guy's hand and we we're raising our hands across the finish line. And you could hear her say, Oh, <laughs> I literally got 150 messages. Yo, who's the guy? (laughs) It was hilarious. She just touched my heart. I don't know what it was about her. It may be the way she shared her experience Mm -hmm. and the way she said, I'm not dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. I'm living with cancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a reminder that none of us, all of us, the second we're born, we're dying. Yes. We have to live this life. That's another hashtag that I use. She lived. She That's lived. what I want people yes. to remember. About she loved. Her. Yes. Yeah. So I remember when I completed my first 70.3 in Augusta and 
I'm the back of the pack person. So by the time I finished, most people were gone with the exception of the couple that came to see me race. And Dawn was there waiting for me, cheering for me at the end. And I was like, Dawn. So I gave her a big hug and she was cheering for me. It just made me feel great that she stayed around waiting for me to finish. Yeah. And the, what people don't realize is some of the biggest victories are at the back of that pack. You'd be, you just, everybody, you know, wants to applaud the people who are, you know, I'm, you know, I'm about to go pro or I'm pro or I'm this, that, and the other. But some of the biggest victories, the biggest struggles are right, they're at the tail, they're at the cutoff. Out of the various distance, do you have a favorite? I like the 70.3 because it's a challenge, but it's not so long that I can race it. That is my favorite distance. And the training for me for that distance is very manageable. I have, I really have the training dialed in. I've been told that if I focus more on it, I would probably excel a lot more at the 140.6 distance. Mm -hmm. If it's an ocean swim, I do not like cold swims. You don't? Why? One, I hate the wetsuit. Mm -hmm. And two, I just don't swim well in cold water. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I swim really well. I've done 129 without, I've only done four Ironmans. It's funny. Everybody's like, oh, she's done so many. No, I've only done four. It was a 129 and it was an ocean swim. I really feel like if I put a little bit of focus on it, I could do much better at the 140.6 distance. And I've never trained for my 140.6s. I do one century ride and one 20 mile run mm -hmm. in addition to my normal training. But all of my training is 70.3 based. Okay. I just don't have the time to do all those century rides that a lot of people do. But I do plan to focus this year at Worlds. Next year is a, a 140.6. And I'm going to make a concerted effort to train for that distance. I'm really looking to make a statement. I don't want to just be there. I want to be one of the top finishers at Worlds next year. So right now, do you have presently have a coach? No, I don't. But I am definitely considering getting a coach. There are two people that I'm considering asking to train me for Worlds. They don't know it yet. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll, I'll say their names. One of them was one of my guests, my last get together, Alfonso. Okay. The way I relate to him really resonates. He's stern with information. I'm not one of those people that you can just say something and I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. He says, you should be doing this and this is why. And I like that about him. And he seems to be very encouraging with his athletes in addition to pushing them. Say, you know, you did this, but you can go a little bit faster. This is why. And I know you can do it. I like that about him. And the other person I'm considering asking to officially be my coach is Coach Alonga. But he has so many other responsibilities that I know he's passionate about and they're community based. I know how important they are to him and they're important to me because the, he's I don't know if he would have the time to devote to me. We'll see. But those are the two people I'm seriously considering asking to coach me through Worlds next year. That was my other twin. They look nothing alike. How do you go about the process of choosing a coach? I, feel, I bet you've had various coaches over the years. Actually, I've never had a formal coach. Okay. So do you use a plan or how do you? Yeah, I've, I've gotten plans 
and over the years just kind of modified them. And I figured out what I would look at the races where I had a good race and look at what I did. And my 70.3 training, I have pretty much dialed in. So I know how to go into a race fit and ready to do what I need to do. I think I need a coach to take it to that next level. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I am considering Alfonso is at the end of this year, he gave me a few tips on balancing my fatigue level. And I actually integrated that into my training. And I had, I know for over a year, been trying to get under 530 for the half. And I did a 507 in Havana by following his advice. I actually did a PB on the bike. I went, I think, 21.7 on the bike and was still able to get off the bike. And I think I ran a 2.02 on the run, which for me is exceptional. I usually run around a 2.10. So my swim was pretty average. I did, I think, 40-something on the swim, 41, 42 on the swim. When you race, do you get jitters or are you nervous at all? Or is it just you just kick it into competitive gear mode. Oh, I feel sick. So the Dude. gun goes off. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to vomit. There's even a picture at Ohio. She took like three pictures in quick succession. I raised, I waved to Tracy and I smiled and then I turned and then I had this look on my face like, oh God, <laughs> I feel sick. Like nauseated or just like nervous? Oh, yeah. Just, okay. yeah, I just feel like I can't, I feel weak. I feel like I'm going to be sick and everybody's like really chatty and I try to be pleasant, but I don't want to talk. I don't want to be near it. I just want to, I want the gun to go off. And then as soon as the gun goes off, Mm -hmm. then on the swim, I'm pretty focused. It's Mm -hmm. not this aggression, Mm -hmm. but I swim till my hand hits because I'm so short. I swim till my hand hits Hits the ground. Hits the ground. And as soon as that hand hits the ground, I'm like, game on. It's just total aggression. But this one, I really feel calm. I'm focused on technique. So the nervousness that you have before, has that changed or has it been constant over the years? Yeah, it's been the same. It's it's been the same every race. I try to go into every race, whether it's a championship or just a local race, the same way. I follow the same procedure leading up everything. What words of advice would you give an aspiring triathlete to someone who wants to start in the sport? Okay. Just wants to start. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Uh, Don't worry about fancy gear or expensive equipment. Try it. And if you like doing it, just gradually, you know, map out a plan to what your goals are. I think it's important to have goals if you decide you want to do it, especially since there's so much work and at times expense involved. Make sure you have goals and make sure that it's you know worth it to you to do it. And I always tell people, enjoy the ride. Now, some people get all intense, like, oh, I got to qualify for Kona and I got to do this. So I got to do and enjoy the journey. When I look back on my experience, I don't think about I can't even remember the races I've won and lost, to be honest with you. I don't even remember what place I came in most of my races. I do remember my first win because it just meant so much to me. But the things that I remember are the afternoon that you and I spent together. Vaughn, seeing Vaughn at Ironman Louisville and, you know, her pointing at me across the, was a loop. So she pointing at me saying, I'm coming, I'm chasing you. You know, that, mm-hmm. those are the things that I remember. I don't think about, you know, what place I came in or any of that. Those are the memories. Enjoy the journey. 
literally enjoy it. I know it's a cliche, but literally enjoy each and every day of the experience. As far as triathletes in African-American community, there's a lot of barriers, mainly in swimming, but some, I guess some related to the expense with the mainly biking. Uh What are, I guess, some programs or initiatives or things that we can do, I guess, to help bring others into the sport who may not, who think they can't swim or they think they can't afford it or as that being a barrier to getting them into the sport? One of the things, especially if you've done a race and you decided you want to continue to do that, one, buy bikes from previous years. Learn all you can about fixing your own bike. Bike repairs can be expensive. If you can learn how to do the easy stuff yourself, you're saving a little bit of money right there. If somebody you know and who is trustworthy is selling a bike, buy it from them. And also buying from your local bike stores can help keep costs down too versus bikes from, you know, the big box bike shops online. One of the things I do is as I stop using a bike, I get it serviced and I give it away. If you can afford to do that, do it. I have one bike that I keep. There's always somebody who comes to the one love. They're like, oh, I want to race one love, but shipping my bike. Well, I have extra room. If you can ride, if you're short enough to ride a 50, I have a bike here that you can ride. It's got to be about community. It really has to be about community. The African-Americans who love triathlon have to be supportive and encouraging to those who want to be involved in the sport and never forget what others did for you. It's got to be a community effort. And you can't be ashamed to say, I remember when I raced at uh, 70.3 World Championships, I have a budget each year. I live by that budget. I mm-hmm. look at you know, what I'm going to get from sponsors, you know, my own personal budget, so on and so forth. I wasn't going to go to South Africa, even though I had qualified by skin on my teeth. And I mentioned it. And people in the Black Triathletes Association started a GoFundMe for I remember me. a guy mentioned Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's an amazing funny. I think I'm older than him and I call him my big brother. I will never forget what he did for me. He didn't have to do that. And he matched what people gave. And because he matched it, people gave more. I paid for my race on my own and I paid for where I could stay on my own. Told him, just get me there and I'll do everything else. Mm -hmm. And they paid for my entire airline ticket. It's amazing. Yeah. And I was, um, I'm sorry. That's okay. Sometimes I find it hard to take. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a giver than a taker. And I don't think people know how much that meant to me. Well, by giving to you, it's like giving to the sport, to the cause. And you give so much to other people. So it's just giving back to you. Yeah. Every step of the way, I felt like everybody was there with me. I tried to post every day. I took pictures. I just wanted everybody to be there with me. It was an amazing experience. So it's got to be a community effort. And I look at the way that, you know, people rallied around Max Mm -hmm. uh, for the USAT greatest moments. Yeah, there are a lot of great moments in triathlon, but I don't think people realize how much pride that instilled in the African-American community when he finally got that pro card. Mm -hmm. 
there's a young lady who cycles with the Metro Atlanta Cycling Club, Aisha McGowan. This past year, she became the first African-American professional cyclist. When she was announced it, we all went berserk. It's like we ride with her. Yes. Mm -hmm. My daughter loves her. My daughter met her at the One Love last year. And she came home. And I swear that girl cycled two hours a day for two weeks. <laughs> she wanted to be just like Aisha. You know, she's like, oh, mom, she's got a Muslim name, too. Well, we Aisha and Aaliyah. I was like, OK. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yes, it, it really yeah. is. The community, just encur- be encouraging. Share what you can. Give what you can. If you have equipment you're not using, if you can give it away, give it away. It, remember, it's all about community. It is. Have you ever had any major injuries over the years? And if so, how did you overcome them? I don't know if they were major. I've had some that take me out, like where I've had to back off. I had plantar fasciitis really bad. I had it yeah. two and a half years. <laughs> I had to have two procedures to get rid of it. Well, fortunately, my cousin who lives around the corner is a podiatrist. So I was able to get over that relatively quickly. Earlier, when the pandemic started, I thought it was a stress fracture, but it was actually just really a torn muscle in my shin. So I was in a boot for a little while with that. I don't think I've had anything, you know, really bad. I put in a lot of bike miles, but I don't put in a lot of um, Run. run miles. And I did have shoulder surgery, but my shoulder surgery was related to a car accident. Mm-hmm. It wasn't related to sport. How long were you out after the surgery as far as swimming? Six weeks. Six weeks. Okay. Six weeks. Yeah. But I haven't had anything major related to that. But I attribute that to, and Kathy is going to love this. I strength train regularly. That's true. Yeah. I'll miss a bike or a run before I miss my strength training. And I'm the opposite. Maybe that's where I've had a lot of injuries. (laughs) Yeah. I worked with a guy named Jamel Mann before Kathy, and then I started working with Kathy. So So how often do you strength train? I do once a week with her. We do it online now. Well, actually, we've always done ours online because her gym is so far away. So I was actually set up for COVID. (laughs) (laughs) We always did our training sessions. I would meet with her maybe once a month, once every six weeks in person. So she could, you know, check my body fat and all this other kind of stuff. But yeah, we've always worked virtually, but I work with her once a week and then I do once a week on my own. Okay, twice a week. And just because I hate them, I do 20 push-ups every day. I hate push-ups. I, I don't hate like them either. I don't like working at home, which COVID is not for me because I miss the gym. I miss the community pool. I go a couple places now, but it's inconvenient and out the way just because it's either safe or I can get a reservation. Yeah. I haven't been to a pool since March. Did you have your setup? So Yeah, I've been in the swim can or on the lake. Yeah. Question for you. I mentioned I met you in Ohio 70.3, which ended up being a awful race for me because I DNF and I ended up in the medical tent. But I learned a lot and it helped me make it through Louisville. Like what I learned, my nutrition was off. My fluids were off. I learned a lot from that race. So I saw a nutritionist and I revamped my nutrition and revamped a lot of other things that helped me 
succeed later. Have you had a bad race and what pearls or what keys did you learn from that bad race? Because some people, I know when, before I had my first DNF, I don't know, I thought that that was my worst fear because I was stressed, so stressed out about Augusta. Everybody was like, you shouldn't do a 70.3, it's too soon. And I literally stressed myself out over that race because that was like my worst fear, like it was death. Like if I did that, <laughs> like if I got a DNF, it's like death. And after I got one, well, I was sad. It wasn't like the end. I mean, I was down and I actually listened to this podcast about what you learn from good and bad races. You basically need to couple days and either bask in the glow of the victory or in the defeat and then use what you learn and move on to the next one. I've had two memorably bad races. And one of them, you're, a lot of people get pissed that I say it was a bad race, but for me, it was horrible. The one bad race is my one and only DNF. I told you it was long course nationals in 2015. I... Got out of the swim. I did a decent swim, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I pushed a little bit harder than I should on the bike. Then I got a flat tire. Then I dropped my chain. It was the top 18 women go to world. Mm -hmm. I lost count of what place I was in. They did line us up by division. So I could tell what place I was in when I left the swim. Mm -hmm. I lost track of what place I was in. Because I passed a bunch of women, but I didn't know how many people had passed me when I was changing my tire. And I dropped all of my nutrition on the bike. I didn't know it at the time. I was a borderline diabetic. Mm -hmm. And I started drinking Gatorade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my blood sugar got out of control. I didn't realize it was out of control. And to top it off, I was panicked because I had no idea what place I was in. So I normally run about a nine minute pace for my half marathon off the bike. I was like, I have to catch people. So I'm running eight minutes. I was running about 830. I remember up to mile four, people said I was picked up at mile six. So I ran for two miles and don't even remember it. I passed out. Oh, no. Yeah. And like you, I ended up in the medical tent. I was in the medical tent for four and a half hours. It was a pretty sobering experience. My nutrition not being secured to my bike. I had proper nutrition, just didn't have it secured to my bike properly. Mm -hmm. So it made me change that. It also recognizing that I was a borderline diabetic started making me rethink my nutrition. And then also I had no understanding of pacing or how to race Up to that point, everything was just like, yo, go. I'm aggressive when I get on the bike, but at least now I know how to control when to push, when not to push. Then the other race that was memorably horrific was Arizona in 2018. I did 14 hours. It was okay race, but Mm -hmm. I had raced far too much that year. That was that I added the extra race to go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. I had raced too much. And I had done long course nationals two weeks prior, which was a 70.3. So I went into this race after having done six or seven 70.3s that year, one of them only two weeks previous to this Ironman. And I was exhausted. I had a decent swim. It was, it was kind of slow. 
my bike was okay. I was actually one of the faster cyclists, but I think three or four miles into the run, I just started cramping all over. Actually started cramping on the bike, but I didn't really think about it. I felt like I was okay. I got some, I use a product called Electrodurance. I kept some in powder form, put on my tongue, I was feeling okay. But I totally broke down. I think that marathon took me six hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was brutal. Just taking care of your nutrition, understanding pacing, and not racing too much, especially as you get older. If you're 20, you can race every week, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. But when you get a certain age, yeah. you learn to listen to your body, which is kind of hard with type A people. Yeah. And I have bright light syndrome. Oh, a race. <laughs> oh, a race. Those are the key things I think people forget. Nutrition, pacing, and, and don't race all the time. I remember, this is when I just was running. I remember the first coach I had, she fired me. Because well, first when we met, she was like, fired she fired me. Yeah. We met, she was like, I gave her all my races. And I was like, I'm injured all the time. She said, this is why you race too much. So toward the end of our stint together, I was injured. And I wasn't listening, basically. That's why she fired me. <laughs> so that's why she fired me, because I wasn't listening and I was still doing too much. <laughs> Hilarious. Look, I'm going to give you your money back. <laughs> <laughs> and another coach fired me for the same reason. So two running coaches fired me. <laughs> yeah. Any last minute pearls of wisdom to my listeners? No. Triathlons or... I don't know. I feel like I'm like the least wisest person. No. I even had somebody ask me for relationship advice and I laughed for literally 15 minutes. I was like, I am the last person you asked about relationship advice. But (laughs) really, I think in life and in triathlon, we're only here for a very brief period of time and live every moment. Live every moment. Just like I always, and maybe this is why I connected with her so much. I go back to Dawn. Live. The second you're born, you're dying. Live. Leave a legacy. And even if you leave a legacy of money, when the last dollar is spent, people will forget you. Leave a legacy of love. Mm -hmm. That's never forgotten. I look at, they call Muhammad Ali the greatest of all time. He was an amazing boxer, but he was the greatest of all time because of what he gave to the world. He gave up probably the greatest years of his career to speak out against social injustice. Mm -hmm. And he spent the last half of his life sharing the fact that I'm human. He didn't hide from his illness. Mm -hmm. He shared his illness. He shared his faith. He shared the fact that social injustice still existed. That's what made him the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. We can all be the greatest. Mm -hmm. We can all leave that kind of legacy. And I think that's what's most important. I, I know my legacy is not going to have nearly as speckle as great as Muhammad Ali, but that's what I'm trying to do. Leave a little bit of love on this earth. And you do that. I'm trying. Can you tell my listeners where to find you? I know you have a website. They want to learn more about you. or I know you do yes. public speaking as well. Yes, ma'am. If you go to KhadijaTriathlete.com, that's K-H-A-D-I-J-A-H, 
triathlete.com. You can access all of my social media outlets using the social media icons at the top. I have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter page, even though I don't tweet very much because some of the stuff on Twitter is a little upsetting right now. We'll move on from that. IG, a YouTube channel, the YouTube channel and my podcast channel are where you can access the web get togethers. I have some you know, cool videos from races and some little snippets that people have sent me. And I didn't know it. I was actually in a music video. <laughs> really? <laughs> a lot of you know uh, Derek Oxley from Behind the Wheel Podcast. He yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He made a song for Mother's Day one year. Mm-hmm. And he had this video of me from a rate from a practice swim mm-hmm. and he turned it into like a video. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've seen that. I, I, saw his Aaron, I saw his interview with you, but I don't remember the video. I saw his yeah, interview. it's on my uh, YouTube channel. Okay. I was embarrassed at first, but I was like, you know what? Leave it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, just go to KhadijaTriathlete.com and everything is there. Well, thanks again for joining me today. It's good to see you. Your hair is fabulous. Well, thank you. (laughs) That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Please, if you already haven't, download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or possible show topics, please email Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. Again, that is Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, O as in Omaha, L as in Love, B as in Brown at gmail.com. Dr. Brown can also be reached via Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Handle We OUI Life L I V E. We OUI Love L O V E. Again, We OUI Life L I V E. We OUI Love. Thank you and please tune in again.